We are studying the judges of Israel, and uh, we're still going to be looking at Gideon today. And I've titled tonight's message, God's Mysterious Way. God's Mysterious Way. Uh, now, I don't know if you're aware, but it is football season. Uh, that may surprise some of you, it may not. Um, I used to love watching football. I, I don't even know the last time I watched a whole football game. It's just not the same anymore. Uh, but uh, I used to love watching football. And I remember watching lots of games where it came down to the very end, right? Uh, and your team has the ball. And, you know, we're down by, you know, six. We need a touchdown. Uh, we're 30, 40 yards out. Uh, only enough time to run one play, right? Uh, so what is the play call going to be? What do you think they're going to do? They're going to pass the ball, right? Now, what happens if they do a running play? They hand the ball off back behind the line of scrimmage. What are you going to think? You're going to think they're crazy, right? You're going to think, what are they doing? You're going to think, no way is this going to work. Well, uh, if it's God making the play calls, uh, we need to follow it and not worry. Uh, if it's God making that play call, we may be thinking, this is a past situation. What are we doing here? Why are we doing this? Uh, but if it's God making the call, we may not understand it, uh, but it will work out in the end. Uh, and, and really, our church, we're living that right now. I thought uh, when when Pastor first mentioned about a church down the road for sale, I thought, what are you thinking? This is like running the ball in a passing situation here. It was crazy. It was, and he thought the same thing. You know, we were on the same page there. Um, but that's what God had. That's what God wanted us to do. Uh, we're living that right now. None of us thought we would have ever moved. We thought we found our forever home here, right? Uh, and that's what was in our minds. And then God throws this in at the end here, and uh, we just follow God. Uh, we're going to tonight look at how there's a battle here with Gideon, with Israel and Midian. And we're going to see uh, the battle between these two. And we're going to see a battle plan that is probably not how we would have called it. Uh, it's probably not the play we would have called in this situation. Uh, we will see, we see throughout God's word that he does things that we don't always understand, that the people involved there don't always understand it, at least not fully. But God's ways are higher than our ways. And God's way is always better than our way anyways. Uh, we need to see and we need to trust and we need to follow God. And that will be the only way that we can get victories in our lives. Even if it looks like the wrong play call. Uh, but if God's in charge of your life, it's going to be the right play call. Now, uh, we're going to look at Judges chapter 7. We're starting verse 1. And we're going to see God's 300 men. I thought it was real interesting as I was studying this chapter and reading it. And I have a study Bible. I have a couple different study Bibles. And a lot of them put Gideon's 300 men. And I thought, well, you know, they're there for God. So I titled it God's 300 men. It's not Gideon's 300 men. It's God's 300 men. Uh, so look at Judges chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Then Jerubal, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill Moriah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. 
Now, therefore, go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, Every one that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lappeth, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lappeth will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thine hand. And let all the other people go, every man unto his place. So the people took victuals in their hand, and their trumpets, and set all the rest of, the, of Israel, every man unto his tent, and retained those three hundred men. And the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. And we'll stop there for now. Uh, so why we seen in the very first verse here, uh, Gideon's name is now Jerubal. Uh, so why is Gideon called Jerubal? Uh, so if we look back at Judges chapter 6, verse 32, might be on the same page for you there. It says, therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubal, saying, let Baal plead against him because he hath thrown down his altar. Uh, so this is after Gideon knocked down the altar of Baal and then constructed of uh, one an altar for the Lord and offered to God on it. We, we looked at all of that last week. Uh, the men uh, of Gideon's father's house and the men of the city there are confronting Gideon's father, and they ask him about Gideon doing this to the altar. Uh, so th- that's what's happening there. Now, the first part of Jerubal means to grapple, contend, uh, to wrangle, to debate, strive or rebuke and then the second part stands for the false god of baal Uh, so gideon's other name jerubal uh, means to contend with baal or grapple with or rebuke baal Uh, we looked at that event of the altar in detail last week and after that event where gideon was just being obedient to god to the work that god had asked him to do uh, gideon was known as someone who was just uh, who was against Baal? He was thought to be so much against Baal that the people gave him a new name to represent his opposition to Baal. Now, what do you think that Christians might be named today? Uh, Gideon was named for being one hundred percent for God and one hundred percent against this false god. Now, I worry that today, if we were to be honest, there are times where we might be named for being compromising, uh, might be named for putting up with evil and wickedness. We'd be known for not taking a stand. We might be known for shying away and be known for wavering. Uh, Gideon was named for being completely and unapologetically opposing to wickedness. 
And I think too often today uh, we look the other way. I think sometimes we say within ourselves, uh, well, maybe there's no use uh, or I just don't want to get involved or it's not worth the effort to defend God here, to stand up for Jesus, to declare God as the one true God. I worry that way too often we compromise. Now, Gideon, uh, he didn't compromise. And that's why he got this name, Jerubbabel. So uh, we see that name there in verse 1, Jerubbabel, and that is why he got that name. He opposed Baal. Uh, now we see, the next thing we see there is that there are too many people. Uh, look again at verse 1. Then Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moriah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Uh, if you remember from last week, the people that are with Gideon are uh, the people of Manasseh, Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali. And we'll see, we see in a later verse here, that this actually adds up to 32,000 men uh, that are there with Gideon. And every single one of those men are there for the battle. They're, they're there and they're ready to go into battle and to serve God in this means. Uh, now, when is the last time that you heard uh, one of the church leaders here, pastor or me or anybody leading a ministry here, when's the last time you heard one of us say, there are too many people here willing to serve God? You probably have never heard that, right? I've never heard that. In my entire life, uh, growing up in church, I've never heard the pastor or the leader of the ministry saying, well, we got too many here today. Why don't some of you go home? Uh, unfortunately, the day we live in, this is not a problem. Uh, we don't have so many people trying to serve God that we just can't fit them in. Uh, this actually happened here, though. Uh, 3,000 years ago, there was too many men there. There, there was uh, 3,000 years ago, there was a man named Gideon, and he was called by God to lead and judge Israel. And part of his calling included going into battle against Midian. And all these people lined up behind him to help him serve God in this manner. Uh, God watched all of that happen from heaven. Uh, God seen the 32,000 men line up to help serve him in this battle. Now, if God were to look down today, would God see too many men lined up to serve him? I'm afraid that God would not see that today. God would not be able to say today there are too many men there. Uh, that's just not what happens today. Today we have a shortage of men ready to stand up and serve God. Uh, we have a shortage today, not a surplus like in Gideon's day. So there's too many people here. Uh, willing to serve God. Uh, now, let's look at why this is considered too many men. Certainly, there's been 32,000 men go to war for God uh, in the past and, and be after this as well. So it's not just the number. Why is this considered too many? Uh, this is too, considered too many people because of their pride. This was a pride issue. Uh, if there was no pride issue here, then God could have allowed all of them to serve him together in this manner. Uh, they could have all been part of the work here, uh, but their pride got in the way. God knew that if these 
32,000 men were to go into this battle, then after the battle, the men, might, maybe not all of them, but at least enough of them would have thought uh, that I did this. I won. Or maybe we, we won. We did this. We don't need God anymore because we are so many and we did this. Uh, we know that this is true because of the phrase that God says in verse 2. He says, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me. Uh, vaunt means to boast, to praise, to glorify yourself or raise yourself up. Uh, that's what God means there with vaunt. Uh, this is what would have happened if all 32,000 of these servants would have gone down uh, into battle with Gideon uh, to serve God in that manner. It is a pride issue in their hearts. Uh, if they would have had their hearts right with God and had their pride in check, then they could have all served. Uh, we need to pay attention to this as well in our lives. Uh, is our pride in check? Don't miss out on a blessing of serving God because he knows that we might get a little bit proud in that situation. Now, our flesh is prideful. It's, it's built right into our flesh. Our flesh wants attention, at least most people's flesh. That's not everyone, but most people's flesh wants attention. It wants recognition. It wants praise and it wants glorification. Uh, so we need to pay attention to this and make sure that we crucify the flesh that we live in and we keep our pride in check. Israel had a pride issue here. Because of that, these 32,000 men were considered too many and couldn't serve God in this way. Uh, so what does God do about this? We see that God reduces the number of servants. Look in verse 3. Now, therefore, go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. Uh, so God reduces the number of servants here. Uh, first, God does this by telling Gideon to tell the people that if they're afraid, then they can return back to their tents. They don't have to go into battle. If you're afraid, you don't have to go. Uh, it should be really no surprise that two-thirds of them left. I mean, going to battle is not something uh, I would be afraid. I mean, that's something serious. Uh, your life could end going into battle. We see that 22,000 of the 32,000 were afraid and they left. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm actually impressed with these 22,000. I know you might think that's crazy to say. Uh, because when we read through this, it's really easy to just kind of go right through it and, and just be upset with them, to be uh, upset that 22,000 people walked out on God here. Uh, they were too afraid to serve God, and I get that, and I don't disagree with that. Uh, but what I'm impressed with is these men were afraid to go into battle, but they were still standing there willing to fight for God anyways. Uh, if, if God would not have said, if you're afraid, go home, they would have followed uh, Gideon into battle, even though they were afraid. They weren't standing there thinking, I'm so strong. This is going to be so easy. This battle is going to be a piece of cake. No, they were afraid. They were afraid to go to battle, to serve God in this way, but they were ready and willing to march off into battle with uh, Gideon anyways. Uh, we need more people like that today. Uh, maybe you're too nervous or too scared to do something for God. 
but we need to be ready and willing to do it anyways. Uh, maybe we're too nervous or too scared to hold up a scripture verse on the side of the road on Wednesday afternoon. But are you willing and ready to do it anyways? Uh, maybe you're too scared or too nervous to go on visitation on Tuesday. Uh, but are you ready and willing to go anyways, even though you're nervous, even though you're scared? Well, I'll be honest with you. I get nervous every Tuesday, every single Tuesday. I get nervous to go on visitation. Uh, I've done visitation for almost 25 years of my life. I have a lot of time put in, so it's not like I'm new at it. Uh, that's not why I get nervous. Uh, for some reason, my flesh gets nervous to do visitation. Uh, but we need to be ready and willing to do it anyways, even though we might be afraid, even though we might be nervous. Uh, we need to be ready and willing to do it anyways. These men that were with Gideon, these 22,000 men would have gone into battle if God didn't tell them that they could go back to their tent. Uh, for us today, that's not going to happen, at least not in the two areas that I mentioned. Uh, in both of these are outreach, uh, trying to reach the lost. God is not going to tell us to go back to our tents. Uh, all Christians are called to serve God in the Great Commission. We are all called to spread the gospel, to share salvation with the world. So if you're ready and willing to do that, don't count on God saying, ah, just go home if you're a little too afraid, because that's not going to happen. God wants us to do this. Uh, so God knew these people here for Gideon. He knew their heart, and, and their hearts had pride on deck. Their pride was standing by. It was waiting. That pride was waiting for a chance to make itself known. And because of this, God had to reduce the number of servants here. He does this first by telling those who are afraid that they could go home. And, and next, God does this by showing Gideon the exact ones that he plans to use. God tells Gideon to take all of these 10,000 men uh, down to the water and allow them to drink. Uh, God tells Gideon that the men that go down on their knees are not the ones to take in the battle, and the ones that take the water in their hand and bring it up to their mouth, those are the ones that, are, that you need to take into battle. So I find this really fascinating. 9,700 men get down on their knees to drink the water. And 300 men bring the water up to their mouths with their hand. I just find that fascinating. How, how could that many people do it that way and only that many people do it this way? Uh, I also find it fascinating to imagine this actually happening. You're down at the water. There's 10,000 of you there. All these guys are kneeling down drinking. A few guys over here are, are drinking it this way. And probably all the, the 9,700 men probably think they're weird for doing it that way. Uh, and then you have Gideon running around, pointing, telling everybody where to go. He says, oh, you're on your knees, go over there. You're on your knees, go over there. You're drinking with your hand, you go over there. He's sorting out all these people uh, because God wanted them separated so he could know uh, which ones to take with him. I just find that fascinating. That would have been a lot of work. Gideon would have had a lot of work just separating the men out alone, along with all these other things that Gideon had to do. Uh, now, I've heard all kinds of reasons for why God picked the ones that took the water in their hand up to their mouth. I've heard all kinds of reasons uh, for why he picked those and not the ones that kneeled down. Um, and, and to be honest with you, a lot of those reasons make sense to me. Uh, but to be honest with you, as I see it, God does not tell us exactly why he specifically chose those ones with the water in his hand to the mouth. I see 
that a whole bunch of men did it one way, and a few men in comparison, it's actually 3% of the men, did it differently. Uh, God wanted a small number of people in this case. So that's why God chose the 300. Uh, all the other reasons, they make sense. I just don't see actual evidence in this uh, passage for that. But God wanted a small group. God wanted just the 300. He wanted the 3% here. Uh, we see that God loves to use the underdog, I call it. Uh, God loves to use the smaller, the weaker person. Think of David and Goliath. Uh, David was half the size of the man he was going up against. Uh, God loves to use the one that uh, would be picked last in gym class. Uh, so if you were in gym class you know, years ago and you were picked last, God would have loved to use you for something amazing. Uh, I was never picked last, so I, I don't get that. I was, I was one of the good people, you know, so <laughs> uh, just kidding. I was never picked first either. I was in the middle. So, uh, But God loves to pick the underdog. God does this because he wants to show us himself. Uh, he wants to show us that he is with us and he will fight with us. He will serve with us, that he is mighty. God wants to make this clear to us. God does not like confusion. He wants to show us clearly. He wants to show us himself to us. Uh, next, we see that God reaffirms or guaranteed, uh, reaffirms the guaranteed success of the mission uh, for Gideon here. Uh, and that happens in verses 9 through 15. For time, we're not going to read all of those verses. Uh, but in these verses, 9 through 15, uh, God tells Gideon that if he has fear to go into battle, that he should go down and listen to the enemy talking. Uh, Gideon then does this. He goes down and he hears the enemy uh, talking. And, and so I don't know if that means absolutely that Gideon was uh, had fear or if he's like me and he's just very curious at what they're saying about him uh, that I, I would have wanted to know. Uh, but for whatever reason, Gideon goes down and uh, he hears them say in se chapter 7, verse 14, and his fellow servant answered and said, this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. That's the enemy talking. The enemy is saying that. Even the enemy believes in the power of God. Uh, even the enemy is afraid of God using Gideon and his army. Now that encourages Gideon. And he runs back to the army of the 300 men that he got there. And he boldly tells them that God has delivered this enemy into their hands. Uh, Gideon actually says in, in verse 15, he uses the word delivered with an ED at the end. It hadn't happened yet. It's, it's going to happen soon, but it hasn't happened yet. But, but Gideon says it in a way that it's already happened. In Gideon's mind, it's settled. Uh, God has already taken care of this battle. Uh, if God said it, it was already done in Gideon's mind. That's how much Gideon believed God and God's plan. Now we read how God picked out the 300 men here. Uh, we see that he reaffirms the guaranteed success of the mission for Gideon here. Now let's see how God defeats the, the Midianites. Uh, Gideon starts to fulfill God's plan for him and for Israel. Uh, look at verse 16, chapter 7, verse 16. And he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand 
with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpet also on every side of all the camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Now, uh, this is Gideon starting on this battle, this plan that God had for him to, to, to defeat uh, Midian. Now, remember back to uh, chapter 6 a few weeks ago in verse six, uh, 14. So chapter 6, verse 14, it says, And the Lord looked upon him, that's Gideon, and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? So it was back a whole chapter ago when Gideon first was told by God that God will save Israel through Gideon. Gideon asked for some signs after that. Then Gideon had some service to do for God uh, after those signs. And then they had to call the rest of Israel, uh, those uh, uh, men that came with him, they had to call them to come meet with him to help. And then God had to reduce the army down for him. This all happened in between God telling Gideon what he would do through him and it actually starting to happen. Uh, there was time in between here. There was a gap. Uh, sometimes this happens due to our own actions. Uh, remember, Gideon needed two nights with that fleece to be able to first accept the will of God for him. So because of Gideon, there was two nights uh, that were spent in between being told what God was going to do and what actually happened uh, because of Gideon needing, needing that uh, fleece and that sign from God. So sometimes it's because of our actions. Sometimes the gap in time is due to God's will and God's timing. Uh, remember, God asked Gideon to tear down the altar and rebuild a new one to him. That took place in between, and that took time as well. And that was obviously part of God's plan and got part of God's will. We definitely need to make sure that we're not wasting time. Uh, we need to do the things as God plans. Now, with that said, sometimes God does not have us do things immediately. Now, I know people personally uh, that have been called to preach, and then they immediately go to uh, Bible college, get some training, and then they start preaching. Uh, so that happened relatively quickly. I know some men that have been called to preach, and within a, a couple months, they're out there preaching, and either at their church or uh, they went around to other churches. Sometimes it happens immediately. Uh, in my life, God called me to preach at the age of 16, and I did not start preaching until the age of 33. So there was some time in between there, and, and I did a whole lot for God in between there, and I did preach a message here or there in between there, but I did not do it regularly until about the age of 33. Uh, so sometimes uh, it's part of God's plan to do it immediately. Sometimes it's part of God's plan for it to happen gradually or later on. Uh, we need to make sure that we are seeking God's will and God's timing each step of the way. And then as God reveals that to us, we need to make sure we're being obedient to him. Uh, so Gideon is actually starting the battle here. He takes the 300 men and he puts them in three groups. Uh, he gives them all a trumpet. I think that's really strange. If I was standing there and I knew that 31,700 uh, men just walked away from this battle, 
and me and only 299 men are going off into this battle, I'd be thinking, man, this leader is crazy. He's going to kill us all. If we take all 32,000, we'd wipe them out in two minutes and it'd be over and it'd be great. Uh, and, and so he sends them all home. So I'd be thinking he must have some really good weapons. That's got to be what it is, right? He's got some nuclear weapons uh, or some machine guns or something. And he walks up to you and he says, here's a trumpet. I'd be thinking, wow, this is crazy. This doesn't make any sense. And then on top of that, he gives them a pitcher and then a lamp in it. Uh, so it's kind of a crazy plan, uh, but it's all part of God's plan. And, and we, we see that it works exactly how God plans for it to work. Uh, after he gives them this, uh, he tells them to watch and to do as he does. So let's look at the actual battle. We'll start reading it. Um, we won't read the whole thing. It's uh, verses 19 through the end of the chapter, verses, uh, verse 25. We'll start in 19, though. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, and they had put newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their hands, and the trumpets uh, held in their left hand and the trumpet in their right hands uh, to blow withal. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow. And, and we'll stop there. Uh, and, and so that's how the battle works out. Again, that's probably not how we would have called the plays here. Uh, Gideon, he blows his trumpet, and he breaks the pitcher that's in his hand, and then all the people do the same. And they all cry out, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Now this leaves no doubt in the mind of the Midianites. They know exactly who it is that is attacking them. They know that it's Israel and that Israel has God on their side. And this causes them to fear God and to run away. Uh, as everyone runs away, the rest of the servants that did not go down in the battle, they're then called into action in the last couple verses there. Uh, they're called into action and to help chase down Midian and Midian is defeated. Notice though that this started with Gideon obeying and following God's plan. Then the people were told to watch and do what Gideon does. They do this. They watch him and they do what Gideon does. Uh, and they, when they do this, uh, they then experience a great victory. Uh, the people needed to watch and follow their leader, Gideon, or this would not have been a victory. And Gideon had to watch and follow and obey God and his plan, or this would not have been a victory. If we want to experience victories in our lives, in our Christian walk, in our battle against sin, and the battle against trying to win the loss to Christ, if we want victories in this area, we need to follow our leader as he follows God, uh, none of these can be out of line. If we don't follow our leader, we will lose some battles. If our leader does not follow and obey God, then we will lose some battles. Our job is to follow and keep our eyes on God and his plan. Now, you might be saying, well, what if our leader uh, does not follow God's plan? Well, you'll know. If you're close to God, you'll know. 
If he does not follow God's plan, you'll know because as you walk down the straight and narrow path that God has for all of us, uh, as you keep your eyes on Jesus, you will notice as you're walking if, if the leader turns off the path. You will know because you're focused on God. Uh, we need to keep our eyes on God and constantly check God's word. God's word is our user manual for life. Uh, if we do that, we will know that our leader is still on the path or if our leader has walked off the path. And I fully believe we have nothing to worry about here uh, in this church, but it's still good to keep checking with God's word anyways. Now, we learn tonight that sometimes we will need to confront the enemy. Uh, we will need to be rebuking and standing against evil. So are we known for compromising or are we known for standing strong against evil? Uh, next, we learn that we need to be ready and willing to serve God. Uh, now, I would love for pastor to come to me and say, uh, what are we going to do? There are just too many people here trying to serve God. I, I would love for that to happen. Uh, Steve wants to start a choir. I would love for him to say, I've got too many people. I can't fit them all up here. Uh, I would love for that to happen. Uh, so I say, let's make it happen. Uh, consider that a challenge. Uh, go out and personally recruit as many people as you can to help serve, uh, to help serve God here in this church. Uh, let's overload the place with servants, people who are ready and willing to serve God. Let's do it. Uh, don't worry if, if we do that. If we overload the place, if we're packed full, people are staring in through the windows. Don't worry about it. God will take care of it. God will find something for everyone to do. Uh, it'll all work out perfectly. Uh, we just need to go out there and start recruiting. Uh, we need to keep focused on God and serving God. Uh, the, the verse for the church this week, um, I, I just realized that this morning, it's the same as what I have here at the end of my message here, Ephesians 5.16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We need to get in the battle. We need to start winning the lost. We need to do more to win the lost. We need to help our brothers and sisters, uh, which are our fellow servants here. Uh, we need to help them in their battles and help them in their walk with God. Uh, we need to keep learning the word of God. We need to keep teaching others the word of God because time is running out. We're at that. We talked about football at the beginning. We're at the end of the fourth quarter. Uh, there is only seconds left on our clock. We need to get to work. Let's make sure that we're focused on serving God and following his will. Uh, we may not always completely, fully understand God's will or God's timing or God's plan. Uh, if, if God told us to have 31,700 men stay back and only take 300 in the battle, we probably would be thinking, no way is that what we are supposed to do. But if God said to do it, we better do it, uh, even if we don't fully understand it. So I say let's unconditionally follow God's plan. Let's pray.